How are we doing, folks? My guest today is going to be Nate Checkets. Nate is the co-founder and CEO of Roan, a men's performance lifestyle brand founded in 2014. Prior to Roan, Nate worked for and consulted with some of the biggest technology and entertainment properties in the world, including Cisco, the NFL, Legends, FanVision, and Sport Radar. In this episode, we discuss Nate's journey so far and what drives him to succeed each and every day. I hope you enjoy. And please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And we're rolling. Mr. Checkets, I appreciate the time. Hey. I like the, uh, like the backdrop. Yeah. Everything looks good there. How's the uh, summer been progressing for you? It's been, you know, it's been quite the uh, roller coaster world when we, um, we were on vacation uh, two weeks ago in Sun Valley, Idaho, so not far from where you are. My, my grandparents got married in Utah and then did a honeymoon in Sun Valley before it was, you know, Sun Valley 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. And every summer they've, they've taken the family up for a couple of days. So we got back and the day we got back, we moved houses. Um, oh, wow. And then the next day we had a hurricane roll through and take down all these trees, hit power lines and went five days with, you know, no cell service, no power, no, uh, no, no water. So, um, you know, kind of worked our way through that. And now, you know, now we're life's getting a little bit back to normal, trying to think about the kids getting back to school. But, you know, it's, uh, it's been a crazy summer for sure. Yeah, adding on everything else. I mean, how, how's, how's the feeling back there with everyone kind of going back to school? Is it, is it going to be online or is it going to be in per- Have they kind of hashed that out yet? Yeah, They've, uh, they just announced yesterday it's going to be a hybrid model. So, okay. you know, depending on your last name, you'll go to school Monday, Wednesday or Tuesday, Thursday. Nobody's going to school on Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest of the days will be uh, a, a learn from home for the first month. And then they'll kind of reassess depending on what the case counts like, but they, you know, the kids have to wear masks. And, um, I think the teachers are, you know, getting used to, used to the curriculum and ready for it. But, you know, the pandemic was taken very, very seriously in our area. We were, our county and area was in the, you know, in the first month we were consistently ranked in the top 10, um, in terms of various hit, but they, the case counts gone down dramatically here. So, we're, uh, you know, we're starting, we're starting to come back to some level of normalcy. Right. It's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the new normal, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for you, I mean, you've kind of uh, had such a, an interesting career uh, going through, spending time, uh, Cisco, the NFL, Legends, uh, Fan Vision, kind of moving through. And then uh, you, you settle upon and have this amazing startup so far called Rome. And so, so the main question, what, what's the drive for you? What, what's kind of driven you in your career so far? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think like you, I, I grew up in the Northeast and um, I don't know if you had this experience as well, but you know, with all the kids I went to, to school with uh, you know, there was kind of this belief that you were going to go work in, in finance or, you know, work in consulting or, there's like kind of these very narrow fields, mm-hmm. um, but it just didn't really appeal to me to go down that traditional path. And I, I went pretty far down it. I mean, I, I went to school, I majored in finance. I was a, you know, I was a good boy. I, I, uh, I took a internship with a management consulting firm. I took an internship with a private equity firm. I, you know, it was kind of like going down that road and I realized I just hated it. I like, I was like, this is not what I want to do. Um, and, uh, and the idea of just being stuck behind a desk, you know, kind of like just trying to like either only use Excel or only use PowerPoint just sounded like the worst thing in the world to me. And not to mention everybody I spoke to who would kind of, was kind of like five years ahead of me hated their job. Um, so it seemed to me like there was an opportunity to go and, and be a bit more entrepreneurial. And I always, I always was growing up, I was always coming up with ideas and, you know, my parents like to say that I was always trying to hawk things and, and sell them. You know, I, me and my brothers, when we went to our first Yankee game, we ended up getting a ball from, uh, from Don Mattingly and, you know, me and my brother tried to, tried to sell it to the guy next to us. Uh, almost, almost got the transaction done before my dad uh, told us that was highly inappropriate. Um, and you know, when I was, I was younger, we were selling lemonade, uh, you know, on the, like every other kid, but 
we lived near a golf course. So we always used to go and dive into the lake and pull the golf ball out. And we were chased by the Rangers. And um, we, we once ended up selling lemonade at what we thought was, uh, was a wedding party. Not that that would be appropriate either at the end of our street, but it ended up being this woman's uh, husband's wake. And so we got in a lot of trouble for that. Um, I mean, we, I was just always, I was always an entrepreneur. I didn't know that's what that was called, but yeah. you know, as I got into college and I started to do a lot of self-reflection, I thought I like building things and I like creating things, um, that have some level of value. And, you know, that gives me the level of flexibility to somewhat control my own destiny and schedule. And, uh, and I'm okay with failure. I, you know, I think I've always been a little bit that way. I don't get that embarrassed if, if something goes wrong or if I fall, it, you know, I, it's a uh, failure is part of life. And I believe in order to learn, you have to fail. So, um, so that's kind of what started me down. You know, if you can call it a career, a very, very alternative career path to the one that I had previously been on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean that, that failure, I, f- I feel like that's uh, extremely difficult for, for a lot of people to kind of uh, be able to, to deal with that. Right. I mean, everyone, it happens to everybody and you kind of just have to be able to continue to move forward and, and not let it affect you. Uh, especially when you're going into a startup or entrepreneurial, I mean, skiing wise competitive, I mean, definitely not every day is your day. You make a lot of mistakes. And, um, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a, that's definitely a difficult, uh, process to kind of, to kind of go through. Well, and, and when you think about it, it's, you know, you, you just don't progress without failing. Mm-hmm. If you, if you understand that failure is one of the steps of progress, um, then you just have to, you know, you almost have to look forward to it and find ways to, to embrace it as part of, as part of the journey. And, you know, for, for me, I can look at just about everything in my life that um, has, uh, has been of, of use or that I, derive a lot of satisfaction from mm-hmm. failure has been a part of it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, obviously there's different degrees of failure, but, um, you know, I, I like, you know, referencing, referencing the, in the re in the arena, you know, it's uh, Teddy Roosevelt's speech man in the arena is one of my all time favorites. And he, he talks about this. He talks about, you know, you never want to be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat because they simply didn't try. And uh, I'd rather, I'd rather try and, you know, dare greatly, as he says, and come up short, than look around and realize I never tried at all. So um, it's, you know, it's always been kind of part of my DNA. It was the part of the way I was raised. My, my dad was certainly in an entrepreneur in many respects and I was lucky and fortunate to, to learn much from him. Right now, now kind of speaking to that, what, what is that like when you're going through and you're trying to juggle multiple things at, at, at one time, you know, when you're, when you're kind of going into that, that startup Avenue, Roan's kind of just getting off the ground and then you have, uh, you got a family to provide for, you got a, a, there's a lot of outside pressure, right? I mean, and that, that, uh, especially if you have a fear of failure, I mean, it has to be extremely, extremely difficult. I mean, for you, it's a little bit easier, right? Because you're not afraid like, hey, this might not work out, but I'm still going to give as much effort as uh, possible and we'll see where it goes. Well, I mean, and, you know, while I say I, I'm less afraid of, uh, of, of failure, what I, what I would say is that adding kids into the mix and family in the mix and a mortgage in the mix, like that yeah. definitely ups the pressure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard. It, like, I think, you know, we've, we've been at this now for um, six and a half years. And if you add in kind of the part of building up to launch, it's been longer than that. But, you know, it, it's not every day, but it's often that I will hear from somebody who's like, well, you just, you know, overnight success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so lucky. And, uh, you know, there were so many nights and early mornings and there still are, mm-hmm. um, where it was a lot of grinding and planning and, you know, making sure even though, you know, you know, failure is going to be part of the journey, you certainly aren't seeking it or trying to, trying to achieve that failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been hard. And, and I think what I've learned, and I think as I've progressed, it's been easier 
to do it, but I've learned to say no to a lot more things in my life. I think the hardest thing for me in, in just growing up is, is learning to narrow my focus and to say no to more things and to say yes to only a few things, higher, you know, higher priority items. Right. And those have probably changed a lot. I would imagine since, since earlier on, those, those kind of higher priorities are, are a little different than what they used to be. Yeah. I mean, I would say that before there, I think the, the biggest change is that I've set them. Like I put mm -hmm. them in writing. This is what I care about. This is what matters to me because the, you know, I think the hardest thing in spending time and time is the most valuable resource that, that we have is that it's so easy to say yes to so many things. And then you end up, you know, if you actually evaluate what you're spending time on and then match it up with your list of priorities, you know, for the vast majority of people, myself included, those, they don't often line up perfectly. And yeah. if you say, all right, well, my most important thing is my family. Well, how much time am I realistically spending with them? Well, during COVID it's been, it's been a lot, yeah. but you know, I'll, before that, um, you know, before that, I would say that there's just opportunity to improve and to make sure that my priorities and my time spent were in sync. And so, yeah, I think the biggest change is putting the stakes in the ground saying, this is what matters to me. This is what I'm going to focus on. Now, putting those stakes in the ground, you write that, uh, is that on paper or is that on uh, a phone? It's on paper. See, there's um, it's on there's both. Different about that, I feel like. Right? I mean, one of the last episodes was uh, chatting just about how there is something different about pen to paper rather than putting it on your iPhone or something like that. Just like, oh yeah, I gotta do this as a list. When you actually write that down and kind of, it kind of makes it a. It just feels like it's more concrete, right? Yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly read behavioral research papers that would suggest that you know, there is something actually different, you know, it's not just placebo, it's not just our perceived value of taking pen to paper, that there is something about moving your hand in those letters that is helping connect that to, you know, to your mindset, and versus, you know, just kind of typing it out. But it, whether, whether you type it and print it, you know, I think the most important thing we, people talk about goal setting all the time and how important it is. And goal setting is important, but what's, I would say goal setting is like 10% of the job and it's really goal monitoring. That is like the real thing. And that's where, I don't know about you, but if I look at times where I've been able to achieve my goals, mm -hmm. it's been because I've stayed on top of them and I monitor them and I quickly, you know, I, I, I measure myself. Um, and, uh, it, it's easy to, to say, and even write down, you know, I'm going to achieve X by Y and you can make them smart goals. But if you don't ever go back and look and evaluate and have a system and a process for measurement and monitoring, it doesn't matter how smart your goals are, or if you set them, they, you know, it'll be like anything else. So, yeah. you know, I've learned the importance of, of just having a system and a process for checking in with myself and self-reflection to, to keep myself accountable. So what kind of system and process have you, have you kind of created to, to goal monitor for yourself? Well, uh, so it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fairly, it, it's fairly long and lengthy, but uh, you know, I, it's something I spent a lot of time on. Um, and I, I wrote an article kind of outlining everything on, um, on Roan's blog, the pursuit, uh, in, including templates, the templates that I use, but essentially, you know, what I, what I do is I, I focus on weekly goal setting because I think that's the, the most important time frame for, uh, for goals. Um, people often uh, overestimate what they can accomplish in a day, but, you know, underestimate what they can accomplish in, in longer periods of time. So I, you know, I do have kind of five year and 10 year, goal map, but, um, but I, you know, then I really try and bring that down to the, the quarterly and weekly level. And, um, and I, I, I print out a new version of this template every single week and I will go and I will write it down. These are the, these are my three to five core objectives that I'm going to accomplish this week. And then on the other side, um, I've listed out, here's the things that I want to do either every other day or every day and I will track it. So in the beginning of the day, in the end of the day, I just have a, a pen 
right underneath and I will go and I will mark how I'm doing, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, if I'm trying to read books or, you know, for me, uh, you know, spending some time spiritually is important for me and connecting with that. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so I monitor and I measure that. And then once a quarter, I have it blocked out on my schedule for two hours and there's a list of things that I'll go through. And really that's an opportunity to make sure that I'm focusing my time on, um, on kind of the most important priorities. And, and that is set in stone. The priorities are set priorities in stone set, yeah. and my kind of life's mission and objectives. That's that I don't touch anymore. I've set that. Okay. And I just try and make sure that what I'm doing is it's a, it's a check-in process. So, um, so those are kinds of the things that I, I spend time on. Right. So that kind of helps you take care of the, the day-to-day or week-to-week, some of those vital uh, priorities. Yeah. Now, what it's, happens, easy, it's easy to lose track. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's I'm definitely going to go check out. Now, for some of those people, like, are there any habits you would say that are kind of unique to you that uh, are able to help you uh, tackle those weekly things other than just having that, having that template there? Is there, you know, uh, is it, do you have a good attitude or are you uh, really <laughs> critical? I mean, I've had a bunch of different person, you know, we have I've had the hate to lose people on. I've had the love to win. There's all different competitive drives. And so I'm, I'm just kind of curious for you, what, what would you say it is? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely competitive, uh, just my nature, um, you know, and, it, and it's actually something I've learned to better control when I was younger. It was, you know, it was definitely the, the hate to lose mentality. Um, but I think what I've, what I've learned is I, you know, I think the most important thing for me is I believe in personal growth. And I, I find that I'm at my happiest, best, you know, I'm, I'm my best father, you know, the, the best version of myself as a father, as a husband, as a, as a leader of a business, when I am taking time and I feel like I'm growing and progressing. I think most people are like that. And so part of our company culture at Roan is we try and make space and encouragement for people to, you know, to progress personally. And for some, you know, that is really important to be measured in athletic pursuits. So whether it's getting a PR, a certain, you know, workout uh, level or, you know, a marathon or whatever it is. And for others, that's, you know, more hobby driven or, you know, visiting certain sites. But whatever it is, it's kind of connecting with that inner tissue and saying, you know, I feel like I'm making steps towards that. And, uh, and I'm learning and I'm growing and progressing. And it's, you know, it's, I, I compare it to flying on an airplane and they, you know, they give that advice of, okay, if the air, air pressure in the cabin goes down, the mask will fall. And if the mask fall, put in, put a mask on yourself before you put it on the child sitting next to you. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear that, I'm like, that is the craziest thing ever. If these masks fall, there's no way I'm putting it on myself first ever. Like, I just, I can't imagine doing that. And yet the truth is, is, you know, you're not doing any child any favor by losing consciousness because you decided not to, you know, put a mask on yourself. And so you really do have to think about how I'm, I'm at the best version of myself when I'm deciding to allocate an appropriate amount of time for, for self-care. I mean, self-care has been such a big big growth as well. I mean, I feel like for a lot of people, it's still difficult to be able to, to worry about uh, self growth, right? I feel like uh, it's kind of more the younger generations and stuff like that. Because I know my grandparents and everything else, the last thing that they're concerned about is, is themselves. They're always worried about everyone else. And I think it's very difficult. And I feel I feel like people think of, uh, of it as a super selfish thing. But I definitely don't I mean, you kind of need that to be able to grow and, and be able to thrive and new experiences and and really tap into potential that you didn't even know that you potentially had unless you go down an avenue or you take the time to read that book, you get that morning run in and you the birds spark an idea right. for you, or you have that morning sunrise that you see and it's like, hey, maybe I should try this or you know, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's so tricky because there's a balance. You know, you could certainly spend all of your day focusing on yourself. And when, when does that cross over into self-indulgence versus self-love and self-care? Sure. And for everybody, that's a little bit different. 
um, because I really admire the prior generations and their willingness to, you know, just kind of like grit it out. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I think that there's, you know, there's just something to be said about making sure that you are taking care of yourself and you're getting yourself to a good state. There was a, an interesting um, report that came out that I read recently about working mothers. And this is something I've always wondered about because, you know, working mothers uh, always, you know, always face criticism about putting their children second and putting their careers first. Mm-hmm. And what the research basically said, and I, you know, I didn't dive into the details of who, you know, who sponsored it, who, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know of the quality, but I thought the right. takeaway was interesting. And what they said is that, you know, quality of interaction matters much more than quantity of interaction. In other words, there was no discernible difference in terms of the outcome of children between working mothers and non-working mothers when the emphasis was on quality of interaction. And what I take from that is that, you know, we, when we show up for each other and, you know, cause we've taken care of ourselves, we can really impact uh, each other in such a positive way, you know, just getting on this call and having positive energy between the two of us, we can, you know, both of us can leave this call lifted and, um, and ready to go and tackle our next uh, endeavor. But Absolutely. if I didn't get enough sleep last night and I'm not taking care of the way I feel my body or, hydrate or taking care of the way I exercise, I might show up to this conversation a little bit differently. And that can impact the energy that you then then have to a degree, or it certainly could impact my wife or my kids or um, my coworkers. And, um, and so there is, there, is, there is something to be said that one of the most important things you can do for the people that you love is to take care of yourself, get yourself into an important, healthy state so that you can you know, be your best self around them and encourage them to be their best self. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, one, one of the things uh, kind of last winter that I really got into uh, went down the rabbit hole on was sleep. And oh yeah, I, why, have, I don't know if you've read why we sleep by Matthew Walker, but uh, I haven't. No, I would highly recommend it. It absolutely changed my uh, perspective and how much I really needed to value sleep and how important it was because I was always been one of those people that like okay I can run on four hours like I still feel yeah. fine and still feel like I function really well and after reading that book it absolutely changed my uh, perspective not only on that but also on alcohol consumption caffeine consumption and all kinds of different so I mean it's made it so much more of a priority in my life than than it was before and I was like damn I wish I had done this when I was competing I wish this right. was out back when I was a competitive you know I mean definitely uh but I guess it's good to have it better late than never <laughs> yeah well you know it's interesting that you say that I recently invested in uh in a company called Athletic Brewing and okay. they are trying to um you know, make a non-alcoholic beer uh, to, you know, to have the same flavor profile of, of kind of these IPAs. Um, and I'm not an alcohol drinker myself, but the founder is this really great guy who was doing triathlons. And, um, and his wife was like this incredible vegan cook. And they, you know, they, they lived unbelievably healthy lifestyles. And when he looked at it, the only thing in his life that he could like take to the next level was reducing his alcohol consumption. So he had a dry January mm-hmm. and, um, and he's like, I feel, I always feel so good at the end of January. Why do I go back to this? So then he, he ended up staying sober, you know, and not for, not for addiction reasons, but just for health reasons. And then he realized he's, he started challenging his friends and his brother and, you know, they all reduced their alcohol consumption so dramatically. And they started saying, wow, I feel so much better, mental health, all this stuff. Um, and so he ended up launching this company, Athletic, and uh, and he's he's tracked all of these interesting metrics on how alcohol impacts the body, and um, you know we don't we don't think about it uh, yeah, oftentimes, definitely. and it's so easy to justify. But you know you're right. Like, would you give up whatever whatever that is worth, the caffeine or whatever, if it meant showing up better for yourself or being able to have higher quality of sleep? I like you. I always prize myself. And we grew up, you know, raised by the generation. And yeah. I wake up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning. Da, da, da. Um, and uh, and it used to be a badge of honor to burn the candle on both ends. And oh, for sure. um, it's, uh, you know, 
again, there's a line, but we sleep matters and it's like research driven, proven it matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's one of the, when speaking of the alcohol, I mean, it's just the, the difference when I've gone through periods of not drinking and stuff like that, the inflammation, I feel you, you know, there's such a big uh, difference there. And there's actually an article I was reading a few days ago that was on the differences between alcohol consumption now to compare to like the 19, uh, 40s and 50s like if you mm. had between three drinks you were considered like a moderate to heavy drinker and like today it's like seven or eight would be seven yeah. you know it's like seven, it's like a, the numbers more than doubled it's like huh okay <laughs> Time's well the other interesting change. thing the other interesting thing that um this guy bill told me is he said in europe 15 percent of all beer is non-alcoholic in the U.S., you want to know what that number is? Yeah, it's less than one percent. It's like half a percent. So uh, you know, nobody's drinking these traditional non-alcoholic beers probably because they don't, you know, they don't taste as as good or you know the flavor profile is not right. But um, but he 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 says there's a huge opportunity to increase it because alcohol consumption has gone down consistently over the last few years. The the market. Um, for alcohol has stayed relatively the same, but it's because people have been switch consuming less and switching into more expensive drinks, you know, kind of more of these uh, seasonal profiles and, you know, higher end. More of the micro brews and uh, stuff like that. But I just, I thought it was interesting as like a, as a consumer and as an investor in consumer businesses, I just found it really fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, and I feel like the, the science on it keeps, we get more and more information on it each and every day. So it's super, uh, super interesting to see kind of where that, where that field's going to go now for, for Roan, I mean, as, as you go in and uh, for a startup, I mean, apparel is one of the most difficult businesses to kind of, to get into. And, and so where, where does that idea like spawn? Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into the clothing market. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, right? Um, I mean, it was it it, it the, the simple answer is, you know, I was uh, I had left kind of the startup world, mm-hmm. and um, I had uh, I had gone back into corporate America. Um, I was working at the NFL at the time. Um, I had I had started this company. We sold it to the, um, we sold it to a group and, um, I was, you know, I was burned out from being an entrepreneur three and a half years of my life, like yeah, as 16 hour days every day, just like grinding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my friends had 401ks and great health plans and I didn't know what that was like. Um, and at this event, I ended up you know, the, the business that I had started was a mobile software business in the sports and entertainment space. And uh, I ended up meeting this executive at the NFL and I was telling him about what I did. He said, I think you should come and interview at the league. And I ended up getting an offer to go um, uh, run their sponsorship strategy group. And, um, you know, it was, it was tricky for me because all my friends were like, Oh, wow, you work at the NFL. This is the coolest job ever. Um, But for me, it was such a change from being an entrepreneur that I was, I was unhappy and I couldn't, I was grappling with the fact that I was unhappy and yet I was supposed to have this amazing job. And I now had the 401k and I had the great health insurance. And, you know, my wife didn't have to worry about whether or not my company was going to go bankrupt at any, at any minute. Um, but I was unhappy. And so I just, I basically wrote down in a journal that I was going to, you know, I was going to go build a, uh, another company and I was going to keep myself open opportunities and I started to see them everywhere Um, and one of the places that uh, came to light was in the apparel space because uh, for a Christmas my mom gave all of the guys in the family a pair of Lululemon sweatpants and this was back in 2012 uh, or maybe 2011 and so their men's business wasn't very big yet and uh, I had heard of the brand but didn't really know it and my brother-in-law was like, Nate, you, we cannot wear these pants. Look at the logo. Look at the packaging. Like, this is a women's yoga brand. And I was like, I'm not turning away a pair of free sweatpants. Like, I'm definitely wearing these. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but, but then when I was back at the NFL, I ended up 
Budweiser sent a box of Lululemon gear for some of the women in the office. They started going through it. I was like, oh, I was given some Lululemon sweatpants and um, the, the guy next to me is like, oh, that's cool. Do you buy your underwear at Victoria's Secret? And I was like, what is with you? Like, why does this matter so much? Why is it such a big deal that they right. mostly sell women's clothes and, you know, they have a men's collection. But I started mapping it out. And what I realized is that the bulk of men's kind of active clothing was sold by all of the huge box brands that we had grown up with, the Nike, Under Armour, Reebok, Adidas. Yeah. And their whole business model, you know, 85% was uh, through traditional wholesale distribution, meaning they're selling to a store like uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, and then the, that store is selling to the end customer. Mm -hmm. um, and they all competed around very similar price points, and they competed around similar gender mix. So, you know, sold a little bit more to men than they did to women. But then you had all of these more direct brands that were popping up that were selling clothes at a premium to Nike and Under Armour and, and Reebok and Adidas. Um, but they were selling, you know, directly to the customer and they were charging more. So just economically, it didn't make sense to me. But what, it, what I learned is it means they're spending more money on their product. Their gross margins aren't better than Nike. Right. And it's not that Nike is just that much bigger. They're spending more money on the quality of what they're making. And that made a lot of sense to me, um, especially as I started going and looking at the quality of the product of some of these women's brands. But the problem is all of them, all of the innovation was on the women's side. So, you know, even Lululemon that had a decent sized men's business only, you know, now I think it's like 20 plus percent of their business is men's, but at the time it was, it was 12%. And, um, and so then I looked on the men's side and said, okay, well, what are the, what are the really great men's active brands that are doing this? And there was no one, I couldn't find a single brand that was kind of 80 plus percent focused on the men's market, you know, selling at a premium and really investing so much into the quality of the fabrics that they were using. And so then I started to say, there's clearly an opportunity here. And uh, my brother-in-law, my younger brother, Ben, who's, uh, who's our creative director, and, uh, and I, we started working on this idea and started to, you know, kind of outline, all right, what is, you know, what really is the opportunity? And it's such a big space. There's so many, you know, there's so many people buying so many clothes. Um, and we also felt like this digitally native um, experience of brands that were starting online and selling directly to the customer was going to be a big thing. And, you know, health and wellness was a big thing. And so there was enough of an opportunity to say, as crazy as it sounds to say, well, let's go make and sell clothing. Right. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it certainly resonated and, and we've had a lot of success with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, especially being able to distribute uh, and having such big distribution online, I mean, when I was looking through it, so it was like 65% or more of your distribution goes through online. I mean, especially having that vision back then to, hey, let's get it directly to the consumer. And I mean, obviously, nobody could have seen what's happened with COVID and everything else. But I mean, that really has to um, help in, in the aspect that you can just go directly online. All right. If it doesn't work, ship it back. We'll get you what you need. It has yeah. a huge advantage. Yeah, categorically. I mean, we're feeling very lucky right now because i'm glad we didn't decide to sell luggages uh you know or whatever but um you know it's it's as relevant we we did you know i wouldn't we did have some insight into the fact that men's daily uniforms were changing mm -hmm. right there was kind of this casualization happening in america and you know guys we're we're simple creatures like i don't need 18 different t-shirts Right. for ultimately the same thing. And so, you know, if you go back 10 years, guys might have organized their closet with, this is what I can wear to work. This is what I can wear to the gym. This is what I can wear to go out with my friends. This is what I can wear for more formal settings. Pretty much all of that has collapsed into a single category, excluding like formal occasions. Almost all of that has collapsed into a single category. of This is just what I want to wear in life. And, right. you know, most importantly, I want it to be comfortable. And I want it to perform and, um, you know, and I want it to fit really, really great. And the hard, the hard reality is, is if you're a massive company and you're, you know, you're selling five sizes, small, medium, large, extra large, double, extra large, those five sizes have to fit 95% of people. Whereas we said, 
we don't have to fit everyone. We're going to, we're going to go and we're going to build a brand that um, is tailored to people who are really active and care about the way the clothing uh, drapes and sits on them. And we're going to make it out of the best available fabric that you can buy. And then we'll set the cost based on how much the product actually costs to make, yeah. not just artificially set a price of what the consumer is willing to pay. And, um, and that's why I'd put our product side by side against anyone. I think, I think we make the best t-shirts on the market. I think we make the best athletic shorts. I think our sweatpants and our, you know, our commuter wear, it's just, it really is. And, you know, and there are times like our commuter shirt, which is $118 made out of this luxury Italian fabric. The only other company in the world to use it sells theirs for 500 euros. So like six, you wow. know, 600 bucks. Um, but so when, when there are times to give an opportunity for the customer to have savings, we do that. Um, but most, for the most part, it's more expensive because it, you know, it's more expensive to make. Yeah. And, uh, but we're, we're just never going to sacrifice on quality. So what was that? I mean, is that a pretty fun process to be able to go through and find the luxury, you know, what, what quality is the best and kind of go through that R and D is, is that a pretty fun process to be like, okay, no, I don't really like this material. This, this feels good. I like this. I mean, what's that like? Yeah, that, that is, I mean, I do love that part of the process because, you know, a lot of the questions that, you might ask yourself as a consumer, like, why did they put the pocket here? Or why is this, you know, why is this made this way? If I were doing it, I would try this. Like you get to have those conversations mm -hmm. and with the factories and the designers and say like, well, why don't we do it this way? Like for me, one simple example of this is when we first started making socks, okay. I generally wear ankle socks. Like I don't like, I don't like, you know, taller socks and that. Yeah. I said, my only problem with ankle socks is many ankle socks will like slip into my shoe and it drives me crazy. Is there a way to like, you know, add in a rubberized seal on the back to kind of, you know, keep it up, prevent it from slipping down. And I'd never seen that anywhere. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the design firm that we started with and we were initially working with, they're like, you know, that's a good idea. Let's see what we can do. And so, I remember I got eight different test socks with different types of material on the back and different seals and, you know, some that wrapped all the way around and some that were pads in the back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that's how we ended up creating our first sock and it uses six different types of mesh to kind of come and, and, and really wrap the foot and hold it in place and make sure that it doesn't slip down. But, you know, we obsess over those kinds of little details because it's not just, Hey, go make this product and make sure that, it meets this margin target. It's if we can't make the best product in this category, then let's not even enter this category. I don't want to do it. Right. You know, because yeah. if I want to, if I mean, imagine how that would feel if you made something and you're like, well, I actually would rather wear this other brand because it, it's better stuff. Right. You know, I love it yeah. when we hear, we see athletes all the time, professional athletes who have contracts with, you know, some of the biggest names in the category and they're paying full price to buy our stuff. Um, That's pretty awesome. so, you know, there's a certain quarterback that used to be in Boston that, uh, is always, you know, is always buying stuff. And, uh, I just think it's funny when you consider that he's one of the highest paid endorsed athletes for a competitive brand. Right. Yeah, and then they're wearing your stuff. I mean, that's that's awesome, and it's the quality is I think makes all the difference. And and not only that, but the the customer service. You know, I think it's such a small detail that can really be overlooked. Um, but I mean, especially for me, I know like if if I get poor customer service, it definitely leaves a, a poor taste in your mouth, and you're like, all right, I don't really, you know, whether it's airlines or whether it's going, you know, yeah. just going to the store, you're like, eh, I don't really want to go back to that restaurant and. Right. Uh, customer service at, at Roan is, uh, I would say, fantastic. I mean, I think it's I'm glad, glad to hear that because, I mean, that matters a lot. Mm -hmm. To It matters a lot. People remember that stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, are, we have amazing customer experience um, people. And they're, you know, for the most part, they're, um, they're people working from home. Uh, and they have been, you know, they have been since we started. And they're just awesome. So I haven't met like the vast majority of our customer experience team outside of video conferences. Yeah. Um, but they're just awesome people and they really care. Like they, you know, they represent, they understand they represent the company and um, yeah.
Yeah, we we always we always say internally we're long-term relationship people. So if every interaction you think about it as a long-term relationship, it changes the way that you address someone, the way you treat them, the way you think about what's important to them. Um, and most of the time when people are unkind uh, to customer experience people, and it's like all of us are, have been guilty of that at some point, I, I always say like, you know, it's not you're not you when you don't have a Snickers, it's you're not you when you're talking to customer experience people. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's like holding the space for them and, and, you know, holding the space for that customer and understanding they must be going through something or they must be having a hard day or this is really impacted them or, you know, maybe a shipment got delayed or lost and they were counting on that as a gift and can you make space and really put yourself in their shoes? And so we, we definitely try and do all those things and it, uh, I, I do think it makes a difference. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, it's a big, great, great customer experience. So the the whole crew, you get to video chat with, let them know they're uh, they're doing a good job. <laughs> I will for sure. Now, you know, as as this has grown, right? You said it's about six years, but even longer, kind of going through and developing. I mean, just just talk a little bit about the perseverance because it's one of those things when you're trying to succeed and go forth in life that uh, skiing wise, everything else. I mean, you have to have that that perseverance athletically or in business and, and times do get tough. Sometimes you get down on yourself, but to be able to persevere and, and continue to see it through. Cause I mean, I know you were talking earlier that people are like, Oh, it's just great. You know, Rome's so big now and it's so, and people don't really see the day in day out grind and work and, and kind of growth and, and building that really goes into it to, to see where it is today. Yeah, I mean, perseverance is is everything because it's, you know, there were times where I used to uh, quote the dark night to myself, which is like, you know, that line where he says, it's always darkest just before the dawn. Before, yeah. And I don't even know if that's true. I think <laughs> that's true. But um, you know, like that's just what I, that was like a mantra that I would like say to myself is, Okay, I know this is hard, but we're just around the corner. We're going to reach this, you know, we're going to reach this. And, um, and it is scary. And sometimes you do have to put horse blinders on. I mean, if I told you the amount of people that I really respect and, and trusted who said, this is, this, why are you doing this? You could go and you could get this great job and you can have this pension and, you know, this, mm -hmm. like, why are you doing this? Um, it doesn't make sense. And this is so competitive and you're going up against the biggest companies in the world with the biggest marketing budgets and you stand no chance. And, you know, there, you, you do have to put a little bit of the horse blinders on and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go towards this goal and I'm not picking my head up until I get there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you can do that to a fault, but it for me and and i'm also like to give a huge amount of credit to the team that i work with like we just had really great people who were saying all right let's just keep going if if this path didn't work we're gonna go around and you know we'll, we'll try something else and uh yeah i took a lot of energy from from the amazing people that i that i work with but there were times where i was worried we weren't gonna make payroll and you know early on in that that history or and we weren't going to be able to raise the capital we needed. There were a lot of really, really scary moments. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's kind of that, that grind process being able to, are the lights going to turn on? And yeah, a, yeah. A, a part of that um, success and, and growth, how important is it to have uh, people around you that you can trust and can kind of maybe fill in some of your weaknesses, right? Where you're strong in some areas and you have that team that you talk about around you to be able to, fill in some of those gaps and be able to kind of uh, can keep the train rolling. Yeah, that's it. It is absolutely everything. Like uh, it, you, you know, you hear investors say it, but it's almost, you almost hear it so much that it becomes cliche mm -hmm. where they say, I'd rather have a CI idea with an A team than an A idea with a C team. Right. And like, uh, I just think that's true. I mean, there are so many companies we've had, we've had straight copycats. We've had people say, okay, we've heard, you know, we've heard this idea on a podcast. There's not very many men's active brands. It's a huge space. Like we'll come, we've had people rip off marketing ideas and product ideas. And, and, you know, so many of those companies aren't around anymore. And 
I can't take the credit in terms of the difference, but our team can. Um, and the people that I get to work with and, uh, and, you know, also like just, you know, from a quality of life standpoint, you spend so much time with the people that you work with. You better, you better at least like them at a very (laughs) minimum. You should at least like them. But on top of that, it's great when they're talented because then you like them even more. But, uh, it is, you know, it's like skiing, I guess, is much more of an individual sport, but you probably play team sports as well. Just yep. knowing that your teammate's going to be there for you, whether they're going to show up or they're going to do what they say they're going to do, that matters a lot. And, uh, and I certainly can't take the credit for that. It's, we've just got great, great people on the team. Yeah. No, I mean, it is one of the, you know, playing uh, football is such a team sport and I played that and, and even skiing because it's, it's interesting. It's an individual sport but you have a team and you have people that you travel with. And at the end of the day, a lot of the times it is you against the hill. So sure. the same teammates like a, a Troy or a Ryan or, Car- you know, you're, you're competing yeah. against them, but at the same time, it's really you against the hill. So you kind of cheer them on. It's definitely an interesting dynamic, but, but they, to be able to have those people there to help you when, when they know you're not having a good day or, you know, they're not having a good day definitely can, can make all the difference. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And they, I'm sure they bring you energy in a very real way. Absolutely. Now, now kind of speaking to the energy and, and your personality and enthusiasm and, and where would you say, uh, who, who has kind of helped uh, mentor you or kind of foster that uh, th- throughout your career and kind of uh, life? Well, I mean, early on, it was my parents. I, parents sure. I was blessed to have just amazing, amazing parents. And, uh, you know, they, they instilled in me a sense of hard work and, you know, the importance of, of self-responsibility. Um, but you know, like they're, they both, they both just live life to the absolute fullest. Um, they are, uh, they're in London right now serving as mission presidents for our church. And, you know, I'm talking to them and they're like, they're trying to solve, every problem in the world and I'm like you know at what point do you guys just stop and just be like we're going to be really great grandparents and like maybe go go travel the world uh no they 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 are just they get less sleep than I do um you know they they exercise I remember going downstairs in our basement we used to have this stairmaster um, you remember when that was an important yeah, part of cardio, <laughs> uh, and the floor would just be dripping with sweat and my dad would just kill himself on this machine. And that's, uh, he just, he's, he's always been that way. He's a hard, hard worker. He lives life to the fullest. They, they worked hard, they play hard. They, um, you know, they just really live life, uh, and squeeze as much out of it as possible. And so they're, they're a real inspiration for me. And then I've had amazing uh work mentors um you know at the nfl uh i was fortunate to uh, i remember you know my uh, my boss there um Rini anderson who was uh, at the time she was the director of, of sponsorships and she um she just became the chief revenue officer of the league um she's just an amazing person great mentor taught me a ton um, I remember my grandfather saying, wait, your, your boss is a woman at the NFL. And I was like, yeah, that's that. Why is that weird? <laughs> um, and, uh, and she really, she taught me so, so much, um, and, uh, and was a great inspiration. Then, uh, another executive at the NFL, a guy named Brian Rolap, who's an EVP there, um, was a, was a great, uh, great mentor for me. Yeah, those are so kind of important throughout the career, and they really help kind of shape which direction you you want to go. So it's always interesting to kind of get an idea of who's who's helped uh, who's helped you along the way. Now, for people kind of starting out, whether they're going in and trying to build a company or something, I mean, what would be some advice or uh, and a couple approaches other than template and kind of some of that goal setting? Uh, what advice would you have for them to, uh, to stay the course and, and not be afraid to fail? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it is very much that, like, I think, I think set yourself up to have good productive days um, because one of the hardest things in managing in building a business is you're managing yourself, right? It's very easy when somebody says, 
hey, go and do A, B, C, and D. And it's a lot harder when you have to invent what A, B, C, and D is that need to be done, and then you have to go and do them on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think setting yourself up for productive days and having a system to keep yourself accountable. Um, but, you know, the main, the main thing is to really quickly get over the fear of failure. Because uh, I remember one of another friend and mentor to me um, is a guy named Sean Nelson, who uh, is the founder of a company called Lovesack, and you know they make really amazing furniture. They were known for their giant bean bags, and now they have these um, great couches called Sectionals, uh, a play on the on Sectionals. But they're the mo- most unbelievable furniture. We have a ton of of their furniture, and it holds up. But I remember Sean said to me don't be afraid to wear your own t-shirt. And I was like, that's such a weird thing to say. What do you mean? Don't be afraid. Like, of course I would wear our company. We're going to, we're actually going to be making t-shirts. But I realized what he meant is when you're getting started, you like, you're almost hesitant to tell people what you're doing. And the reason why you're hesitant is because you want to be able to have that out when things go wrong to say like, Oh, well here, you know, there were all these things that went wrong or I didn't end up telling all that people. But what he was saying is like, no, put on the shirt that says Roan on the chest and yeah. go tell everybody what you're doing and be proud of it. And, um, and in order to do that, you have to get over the fact that, you know, for me, it was no matter what I did or what I do. Um, uh, I remember people, I get all, I still get nasty comments from people saying, well, it's because your, you know, your dad was successful. And it's like, you know what? You're right. I attribute 100% of my success to my parents. They, mm-hmm. they, you couldn't give them enough credit. Um, <laughs> but I had to get, I had to get to the point where I didn't care what anybody else thought. I only cared about holding myself accountable and um and that i would be proud of that so what i would say is if you're thinking about starting something get really loud and proud about it and tell everybody and tell your family and shout about it and get excited and and uh and just keep charging just just keep charging and if you fail at least you will have failed while daring greatly so you're will not you won't be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat yeah absolutely well, thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time. I really do uh, appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, chat again soon. Total pleasure. Really appreciate it, Bobby. And thanks for the time. Absolutely. All right. Bye, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening in. I really appreciate it. Please make sure to take the time to like, share, and subscribe our show. And also you can follow along on Instagram. Thanks.